don't give it like a the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist by Leopold Lambert. Today, the politics of borders in South America and Buenos Aires with Alejandro Jameson. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Alejandro Grimson, who is um, a social anthropologist uh, in Argentina, and we are recording this uh, conversation in Buenos Aires, and uh, he's also studied in Brazil, and he, he's a professor at uh, Public University National of uh, San Martin, and the author uh, of a few books uh, that we will talk about today. Uh, uh, hello, Alejandro. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Good, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me on my first day in Argentina. Welcome to Argentina. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, and um, as, uh, as it's been the case for the previous uh, conversations in uh, this uh, series in Latin America, we'll try to be uh, relatively specific to where we are. Uh, and, and with the various scales of uh, Latin America, Argentina, and Buenos Aires. And uh, we will talk about today uh, about their, um, we will talk about the concept of um, uh, borderizations that you've been uh, writing extensively about. But maybe to start this conversation, uh, I think you have a, a new book that just uh, just been, been ah, that has just been released. And I'd love to hear you for a few minutes to begin this conversation about it. Oh, yeah. Um, last year, I, I have published a book called Mythomanias Argentinas. Uh, it's about myth of uh, daily phrases that Argentinians speak in the street, in, in the public transport, in they work, they work in their families, etc., about the country. Like Argentina is an European country, or here we have a, a, a new wave of mig migration from Bolivia and Paraguay that it is obtained all the work and they are causing insecurity, etc., with xenophobia or Argentinian racism. Maybe that's what makes uh, Argentina a European country. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I, I, I take in many years 70 phrases, uh, and I try with anthropological and sociological information, I try to destroy the phrases. Mm -hmm. So it is a book um, based on social sciences, but trying to 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 go to a more broad public. Uh, in fact, uh, it was a television program with eight half hours working in this in the in a public television here in Argentina. Based in the book. Okay. Um, well, the conversation we are going to have today will be um, mostly based on two articles, uh, two chapters you've been writing, um, both about this notion of uh, of border and borderization, 
uh, one more at the scale of the um, of the South American continent uh, and um, the Mercosur in particular, uh, and one more localized in the city of Buenos Aires. But uh, as I was telling you uh, when we were preparing this conversation, I think uh, they're uh, they're really uh, linked. Maybe we should say that the, the articles about Buenos Aires was written also with uh, was co-written with uh, uh, Ramiro Segura, um, and uh, but before we even jump too quickly in the um, specificity, the geographic specificity, maybe we should talk about this notion of border, and um, and as you argue in your in your paper, maybe not to think too much of border as a as simply sort of separation uh, between between two territories or two populations but actually uh, a space in itself that has a uh, that that produces uh, political social economical cultural uh, uh, um, products that has, uh, and uh, so maybe a, a way to see the border in a more complex uh, manner than what we usually than the usual way we we talk about the, do I get that right Yes, I think that that idea at least came from Van Gennep when he wrote his famous books of, on rites of passage. And the first chapter was on the material border. And it was a very, in one sense, it's geographical architectural because he said that a door it is a border a window it is a border but it, it was said in, in, a, in a not trivial way because for him a door it is a space in the sense that you have when when you are crossing from this room to the other room you cross by the door when you are in the door, you are in the liminality. No? And when you are entering to the space of the door, you are in the pre-liminality. Mm-hmm. And when you are crossing, and you cross, you just cross, you are in the post-liminality. So after that, you are entering in the other side. So for example, when <clears throat> you have a river between two countries, there is a line in a map, but how the people lives that space. For example, countries are very friend between them or not, but they con- they build a bridge. Mm-hmm. Engineers suppose that bridges make people living together between two two places. You have a bridge, so the people communicate themselves more than before. So I went to Paraná River. The Paraná River it is one of the biggest uh, rivers of Americas in the sense of Amazonas, Mississippi. The Paraná rivers begin in the north of Rio de Janeiro and came to the Rio de la Plata between 
Buenos Aires a Montevideo. <coughs> dividing countries, dividing Brasil from Paraguay, Paraguay from Argentina, provinces within Argentina. And after that, the Rio La Plata divide Uruguay and Argentina. Well, in the high Paraná, between Argentina and Paraguay, both countries built a bridge. And after studying the daily life there, my conclusion was this bridge separate both, both cities on the border. How a bridge could separate? Well, all, um, this depends on the dynamics, the, the cultural, political, economic dynamics of the borders, the kind of relationships, the politics of customs, of migration, etc. But if you put in the middle of the bridge an state, uh, stopping people from the other country uh, with bad treaties, bad, bad, uh, bad uh, ways of talk, of receive people, etc. In that case, Argentina was the country that put this ward, guard, you know, in the sense of stopping Paraguayan people. And one day Paraguayan people uh, say stop this we hate Argentinians we hate this bridge we hate everything in the middle of this at the end of the 20th century both countries with Brazil and Uruguay also we are talking about integration of Latin America of Southern Corn of Mercosur it is like our like uh, European Union in our way, it's not the same, but it is our way of rationalization. Yeah. And they heard all days talk about Latin American integration and see all days Argentinians stopping them in customs and in, in migration. And there, there was a lot of conf social conflicts on the bridge. A lot of Paraguayan people go to the bridge, stay in the bridge, interrupt the bridge a lot of times as a political manifestation. Obviously, they, they, from their point of view, Argentinians interrupt, interrupt the bridge all days, not with political manifestation, but state policies. No, So you can have a bridge and you can have more symbolic distance between cities, for example. So, well, this is the, the, the border as space, no? Because they, then I, I move to the border between Brazil and Argentina. It is a border with 1,000 kilometers of rivers and from 1945 to 1985, from 40 years, it has only one bridge in one place, and I went there. And I find, for example, that 
after the bridge, people from Brazilian side and Argentinian side get married between themselves mm -hmm. less than before. After the bridge, people from both countries get married between them less than, than before. So what happened? Another another time a bridge make a separation because there were a lot of political conflicts between people during that years after the second war in which Argentina and Brazil have different positions, different uh, strategies, etc., etc. No, mm -hmm. so. Well, I, I work, obviously, the, 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 the border as space, like a borderland, include both border cities. You have a case, for example, in, in the border between Brazil and Uruguay, about which... Borges was right uh, and a story call it Congress no? that began there it's, it has not finished there but it began there uh, in that place you have uh, border cities like sister cities in the sense that it is one city divided by 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 an avenue one way of the avenue is brazil the other way is uruguay and custom it is between the city and the country and the other part of the city and the other country mm -hmm. in that kind of spaces in the center of the city very clear you are going to the left, you are in Brazil. You are going to the right, you are in Uruguay. But the center of that cities of 100,000, 200,000 people has 15 blocks, 25 blocks, or something like that. But the city continues, and you can arrive to places when you don't know where are you, in which country. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I read about uh, a borderland between Spain and Portugal that have houses with one room in Spain and the bathroom in Portugal and they pay the phone in Spain and electricity in Portugal. Arminality <laughs> <laughs> spaces. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you're talking about because that, that's something that I try to uh, write about as well myself and uh, I, I call that the, the, what you call liminality. I call this uh, thickness of the line in, in the paradox of the line not being able to have a thickness by definition in, in its geometrical uh, properties. But uh, that, that's a little bit where the difference between the, the, the line on the maps that you were describing um, and the river, in reality, uh, differentiate in the sense that a river uh, 
has a thickness very much so and 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 i mean i suppose there the anxiety uh, created by something like a bridge is very much the anxiety of of this ambiguity of the thickness of the line i suppose so, uh, i didn't know the example of the avenue between brazil and uruguay but that's that probably works the exact same way as well and um and uh when when it comes to spain and portugal i suppose it's uh, uh, in current political context, it's it's not too crucial. It's not necessarily uh, uh, too crucial of a of a case. But uh, I have similar examples in uh, in the West Bank and uh, and East Jerusalem, where where the the, the lines that supposed to uh, were were um, the lines uh, the line traced by Israelis are are uh, cutting uh, houses in half, just like yeah. that as well. In in that case, with obviously tremendous uh, uh, consequences, um, but um, I think that that's uh, perfectly introduced our our reflection on the border and maybe to to uh, retrace the history of those borders in the South American continent as uh, as you've been doing in your in your article. Um, maybe I would like I would like to hear from you a little bit uh, between. Uh, uh, maybe the, the the different historical paradigm between the the colonial era, the independence eras, or I think you you put nineteen thirty as well as a turning point, and then the Mercosur that started in nineteen ninety one. Could you maybe just do a very small digest for us of this history historical uh, aspect of the border? Yes, the the idea it is more or less the follow. During some time especially before the treaties between countries, modern countries that divide territories, etc. So in all the colonial era and in the first era of nation states in the 19th century, um, you have wars based especially on territory also in population but it was population was um, more to be appropriated by the colonial people to uh, slavery or whatever <clears throat> after the treaties for example between brazil and argentina at the end of 19th century you have war hypothesis up to more or less 85 in the southern corner between brazil and argentina between brazil and Ch between argentina and chile it is more or less 85 of the 1985 so you have more or less a century at, from the end of 19th to the end of 20th of states thinking about possible wars and organizing the territory to that war hypothesis, including the fact that people at the beginning of 20th didn't feel themselves as, as Argentinians or Brazilian or whatever. 
one of the aims of states, not only in the southern corn, was to build this feeling of nationhood. So the the strategies of the states was not only on territories but on population and not only on themselves then the, their their own population but in the the labor population for example argentina and brazil put a lot of radios and televisions on the border to try that their their citizens use their own national system of communication and to make influence on their neighbors what i what i try to show is that after 85 90s whatever when the process of regional integration began with Mercosur and other ways of integration, a lot of people think here that with Mercosur and these 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 things, the conflict ends. So borders ends because you know with globalization we don't have more borders these perspectives uh, uh, argue my statement on the contrary is that globalization it is a fabric of borders of new borders new kind of borders sometimes very visible borders and sometimes invisible borders and after these treaties between friend countries like brazil and argentina or chile and argentina you have wars of commerce mm. so the war is not on territory is not on population but it is on things on on different kind of flux flux <laughs> movement the problem it is the movement of people migration and things and exportation and importation obviously you know in this kind of regional integration commerce is absolutely free but not so much border it is still there and it is a new kind of border different kind of border so all of this i call it this long time process it was i call a process of borderization in the sense that the the border is something that it was built that it is building now and it is built all the time and actually I am not uh, my commitment it, it, it is not with 
my own borders on the southern corner of Latin America. It is more on the big borders of this world, like Mexico, US, or Palestine, Israel, or whatever. Europe and the rest, you know. So for me to study these borders that obviously are more weak, more weak than these big, strong borders. We don't have wars, you know. Mm -hmm. So there are less violent borders. But for that reason, also are more more complex because you have less inequality between sides like in Palestine or like in Mexico that it is the high inequality that you can imagine but the question is when you don't have that inequality how border produce differences mm -hmm. so for me it was I I learned something what is it that my utopia is not to think a war without borders because I am convinced that borders are part of any world that we can imagine but we can imagine a world without this inequality this violence these walls this upper hate etc that is possible mm -hmm. but borders it is one thing and this kind this specific kind of border, this historical kind of border, this other thing. Um, well, that's perfect because I think we're, we're, we're getting very close at, to make the transition towards the scale of the city in the sense that we could almost imagine that there, uh, to consider the violence of uh, national borders and to imagine them um, folded and then unfolded in the social relationships between people in, in cities and I mean spatially spatially uh, uh, as well in the sense that the way a city is organized is always has always this um, uh, those borders that are not uh, that are not as you said like they're not walls they're not uh, uh, sometimes they're even uh, void uh, like a, a, an avenue or, or, or a railroad it's but uh, this void or whatever it is that marks the border is able to uh, re-establish the status of a, of a us and an, of a them them in in the same way that you would you would see at a national level. And I mean that's particularly that's particularly uh, uh, um, um, expressive when it comes to migration uh, in the sense that. You uh, quite often there, the schemes of migrations uh, coincides with schemes of uh, social classes, 
Um, and so, so I think, for example, in I mean, uh, I, I should not stress enough the fact that I'm speaking totally as an outsider here, but I, th- I think there's, for example, a, a Bolivian migration in, in Argentina that's particularly marginalized, and and um, so, so I mean, if we if we I think we're we're talking about very much the same violence in any case, but if we if we go at the scale of the city and in specifically in the city of Buenos Aires. Uh, could you maybe explain to us how, as I said, like maybe an avenue or a subway line or a railroad would very much uh, materialize and almost enforces invisibly, but uh, uh, the uh, segregation within the population of the city? Yes, I I find very interesting this what you are talking because I I did this analysis of Buenos Aires trying to apply these ideas of borders to my city the city in which I live in which I born and it it is one of my works that was more translated and because I think that these um, invisible lines or these naturalized naturalized lines in the in the daily life of the city are in all city of the world you don't have ghettos in all cities you you have ghettos in some cities ghettos like uh, the black neighborhood the latinos neighborhood the bolivian neighborhood no or whatever uh, you don't have uh, apartheid in all cities. In most of Latin American or European cities, you don't have apartheid, strictly speaking. What I think that it is important to preserve one way to speak strictly about apartheid. But you have little small difference that are absolutely relevant absolutely uh, key to understand the space the movements of peoples the bodies the kind of bodies that could are present in one space or in other space in one time of in one time of the day on one day of the week no like for example in the high middle class neighborhood the poor bodies are not present on sunday they are present on monday because they are going to work but if they are if they appear at night the fear appear with them so you have this what i talk about buenos aires it is to make it shortly you have different systems one it is with three cycles it is one 
one circle it is the federal capital you know, three million people it is the high middle class population of the country and obviously of the metropolitan area but you have the metropolitan area that it is 13 million people so you have 10 million people living out the city of buenos aires but in buenos aires metropolitan area and you have one cycle the first it is neighbor in the neighbor it is bit, uh, in the side of the border of the city and you have the others that are uh, far from the city the second line this is one classification the city first and second line no? the other you have the south and the north in buenos aires the south it is the poor place the the traditional working class space no and the north it is the prosperous the richest etc etc obviously if you you change the city you go to mexico and the south it is the best no but what you have it is these cardinal points working in class in social classification the south of what the south of reforma for example in the case of mexico here it is the the south of rivadavia mm -hmm. You even quote uh, Jorge Luis Borjas, uh, who, who already noted his, Again, his border, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he told that at the south of Rivadavia, all it is more instable, less civilized. No? And at the same time, you have avenues and here for example Rivadavia is a very large avenue that divide the north from the south but you have avenues parallel avenues from Rivadavia that are dividing if you if you walk for example in, in an avenue that cross Rivadavia from the north to the south you go to the richest part of the city to the poorest part of the city but you don't find a wall you don't find a custom strictly speaking you have metaphorical customers like policemen or whatever no but this gradation this degradé of of the city is very incorporated in daily life at, at the point that you cannot find poor people walking like a flanel in the in the richest part of the city because including our our pa big park in Buenos Aires, Los Bosques de Palermo, you no, know, our 
our way of Central Park or Chapultepec or whatever. No, we have the bosques de Palermo, but the bosques de Palermo are not in the middle, are in the extremely north. So they are for richest people, in fact. So, well, the, the other point here it is these divisions are not basically linked to race or ethnicity but to economic level or in or income because in, in the case of Buenos Aires you don't have little Italy for example you you have very small ethnic neighborhoods very very small in comparison to New York for example you have the population, for example, Bolivian population have one little neighborhood, but most of them are in, in shanty towns where Argentinians from different provinces and Paraguayans are living also, you know. So this is a question that I want to do to any city about the kind of borders are class borders are ethnic borders are uh, race borders what kind of borders are we talking about mm -hmm. and uh, there's um, a particular care in your in your article for um, uh, I mean you, you don't define it like that but basically the, the idea of belonging to a space that a body corresponds to a space and if a body does not correspond to a space and um, chances are that um, uh, like a, a police officer would would ask for some ID or uh, there there's a sort of uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about what what really defines this sense of belonging um, I mean uh, it's so it's so holistic somehow I mean it, it's probably based on the clothing it's based on behavior it's based on manners it's based on uh, um, I mean, probably a little bit of ethnicity as well. I mean, I don't know what is the dynamic of uh, of that in uh, in Argentina, but um, uh, w what is it? This sense of belonging, because that's that's basically what what establish a contrast between a contrast or uh, an an uh, an adequacy of bodies with the space they are in. Yes. Um. Well, I think that in the Argentinian case, class, uh, a social notion of race, not a biological notion, of, but a social notion of race are linked. In what sense? For example, this idea that Argentina is an European country, uh, is in contrast with with the fact that half of the Argentinian population has some indigenous um, ancestor. You know, so more or less half of the population are not white in our, in the European sense of white. Why why I say the European sense of white because. The, the meaning of white in Argentina is different in the sense that 
if you are part of the middle class or the high middle class, you are white. Including, obviously, if you are not in, in, a, in a color sense of white, but you can become white if you can enter in the middle class or the... So, this you can see especially in some neighborhoods, for example, Palermo Chico, it is the richest neighborhood in, in Buenos Aires City, with very big and traditional houses. So, in some parts of Palermo Chico, the only fact that you are work, walking, it is strange because nobody walks. People are in their cars with private security, like a private neighborhood, but it is a public one. So it is a neighborhood, it is not a private one, but it seems a private, because it has the, the street in a different way of the the rest of the city because in Buenos Aires the city is very with squares now the, the streets are parallel so etc in a very traditional way and in Palermo Chico the, the, the streets are different and uh, so if poor people is walking there or they bodies are meaning work or their bodies are suspicious. Why? Because dressing, because uh, color, because different indicators of class. First of all, after that they can be Argentinians, Bolivian, Paraguayan, Chilean or whatever, but class is what organized the first division of the society in Buenos Aires. Um, and and uh, something else that I read in your in your text is uh, also the, the address. Your address would, uh, in the way it's written on IDs, were are particularly symptomizing which which uh, what is your belonging again in in the fact that. Uh, you might have like a very normal address with the street and the street and the number of the street and the number of the apartment, but um, in in um, in the in the barrios and villas, you you would have um, you would have an ID written like I, I read in your text or something like block twelve, house twenty two, villa twenty. So the very format of the address will be an indicator. Of uh, of where you belong again, right? Yeah. Well, here, Bisha means Shantitam. Mm. So you have Bisha one, two, three, four are Shantitams. So if you are from a Bisha, you are a Bishero. So yourself is, is defined by the place where you live. And different bishas has different meanings. It is not the same 
the number 10 or 11 than 31, no? Because are in different places, has different stories, are different people living there, etc., etc. But if you live, for example, in the great Buenos Aires, out of the city, in the south, at the beginning of the century, it was more difficult to get a job because um, the bridge between the city and the great Buenos Aires was blocked a lot of times and uh, people cannot arrive to their work at time, etc. So it was a reason to be to become stigmatized, for example. Now, in, in that moment, now that changed because the the bridge is usually not blocked. The same thing we can say about the names of the neighborhood. What I try to do in my work is to understand the place of neighborhood, of the concept, the social concept of neighborhood in Buenos Aires. So, for example, if you talk about Belgrano, Palermo, Mataderos, Barracas, La Boca, that name has a very big connotation. For example, Palermo, that it is a name that comes from Italy, obviously, but it is one of the biggest neighborhoods in Buenos Aires nowadays, and it is the place of the of one of the bigger gentrification and new designers and new restaurants, pubs, etc., etc., nightlife, etc., Bohemia also. So some people is talking about the palermization of the city, you know, or they find Palermo that it is friendly city space in different places of the world <laughs> people from Buenos Aires sometimes they find a, a cool restaurant in any place and they talk about well this seems Palermo you know so it is this palermization palermization this is a contrast absolute, absolute contrast with La Boca Pompeya Barracas that are south neighborhoods with other things because for example La Boca it is the the sign the icon of migration Italian migration the port the the working class it is the place of the football team most the most popular mm. football team Boca Junior Boca Juniors etc so has other connotations you know, that are absent in Palermo for example and what I try to show is that the feeling of belonging to a neighborhood, it is real relevant to the, inha the inhabitants of Buenos Aires and in some historical moments it is relevant to understand Buenos Aires politics. Um, 
maybe to conclude this conversation i'd like to ask you about um maybe the, the presence of something that uh, that was particularly interesting about 10 years ago, a little bit after the, the depression in Argentina started in 2001, uh, in, um, in what has been called the Fabricas Recuperadas, uh, uh, in, in those, uh, the seizing of factories by their own workers uh, when those factories were uh, threatened to be uh, fully sold by their owners. And uh, so, so those kind of uh, occupations and uh, and and self self uh, self function of the of the factories uh, um, uh, by by their own workers with uh, I guess the most well known examples that is from outside Argentina uh, the Zeon Zenon Zenon Zeon factory uh, Zenon factory tile factories uh, that. Uh, uh, Naomi Klein has, has been uh, filming in uh, the film The Take. Um, what is what is there, what has happened to those factories uh, in uh, in Argentina? From that time, don't uh, well. Some of them are working normally uh, with the workers' direction. Are cooperatives mm -hmm. equal fact. pay for everyone right yeah. same same salary for all workers not no? necessary not necessary that okay. was a big discussion okay. that they have in all the in, in all that factories they have that discussion about salaries how do you do how can you do that how can you manage a workers factory if you have a workers factory that implies that all the people must to obtain the same salary they have a problem you have skilled workers and unskilled workers that's a fact in most of, of that factories so what, when you pay the same salary in a market society in a very big market society like Argentina that it is out of the factory it is very it appears very fantastic but you have problems because the more skilled workers probably when the country and the economy is recu recuperated it is it is uh, growing again they get out the factory and you cannot uh, contract other skilled worker with a low salary because you know an engineer accept to work by some money if you offer the same salary as any worker probably you cannot get your engineer so they have this problem and they uh, decide different solutions you know in different factories and different experiences uh, you have factories uh, with process of self 
organization of workers with some difference of salaries, but not so high like before. You have factories with necessary support of state, local, local state or national state or whatever, because they are not, uh, they, they cannot uh, function normally without some support, economic support. You have many different situations because you have more or less 200 experience at the beginning. Obviously, there are a lot of frustrations, you know, because it, it is not easy at all. And you have some experience that could continue, including some of them that are really symbol in their places and in, in the national in the national uh, network of, of working class movement but what about their um, legal status so to speak has it been has it been uh, um, crystallized so to speak or 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 if uh, tomorrow uh, a government more right than for example the Krishna administration uh, uh, comes back to the government uh, w would there be uh, threatened to be evicted again and and uh, as as all the legal dispute has been settled for those factories or not really I'm not are not finished today. we have more than 10 years Obviously, more of them are linked to to the to the justice. No, it's, it's not only a problem of the government, mm -hmm. but the government support more or less, and national and provincial government make more or less support. And for example, if you go to the absolutely center of the city. You have a hotel, you know, very big, a very big hotel that it was a symbol for us of dictatorship because it was built during the last dictatorship that was recuperated by the workers. And I work very near from that hotel and once a month or twice a month they are blocking a part of the avenue making claims because the owners are trying to recuperate the building and the hotel and they are they are fighting to to the expropriation etc Okay, well, Alejandro, thank you so much for your time uh, and you. uh, this uh, super interesting uh, 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 conceptualization of borderization in the specific case of, uh, of South America in Buenos Aires. And uh, um, we, will, we will, as usual, 
add every necessary information on the page to complement it. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a pleasure. Thanks.